Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are all so happy that you're here. My name is Reverend Mari Caballero, and I'm assistant minister here. I'm so glad to see you because it's my favorite day of the year, my favorite Sunday at least. It's Big Gay Sunday, and we will learn more about that later. But for now, we come from a long line of very wise folks who saw that there is a spark of divine in each and every one of us. So we like to start off our worship by greeting the holy, saying hey to the person to either side of you. Today's call to worship is written by such a cool guy named Wayne Arneson. Take courage, friends. The way is often hard. The path is never clear. And the stakes are very high. Take courage, for deep down there is another truth. You are not alone. Every week we gather in all of our wonderful diversity and we love to remind ourselves what unites us. In that diversity, we, we have various beliefs, various walks of life, various life experiences, and one of the things that unites us and we're very proud of is our mission, and we live this mission, we try to, and we remind ourselves of it by saying it together each Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Many of you know that Unitarians and Universalists have been among those supporting equal rights and full inclusion of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people for decades. The first gay marriage performed by one of our clergy in one of our churches reportedly happened in the 1950s. This Sunday, we're getting into the spirit of this upcoming week by having our first ever Big Gay Sunday. <laughs> this will be the biggest, the gayest worship service that you have ever attended, at least within the last few weeks. Some may wonder, what does it mean to gay up a Sunday service? Well, I'm glad you asked. The verb to gay up, as in to gay up something or someone, means to embellish, to give a flamboyant flair, to celebrate the wacky, the outlandish, the loud, the divergent, the countercultural outsider. These are, of course, not words that describe the personality of every person whose sexual orientation or gender identity is apart from what the dominant culture expects of them or holds as normal. Not all gay men are flamboyant. Not all lesbians are butch or masculine. Not all bisexuals are traveling through a promiscuous phase of confusion. Not all gender variant folks are drag queens. In fact, most of them are not. These tired stereotypes are not at all what we mean 
when we say Big Gay Sunday. In the alphabet soup of the incredible diversity that makes up the queer community, otherwise known as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, intersex, queer, questioning, and allies, when we call anything big gay, a huge dose of joy is implicit. To some who prefer the umbrella term queer, the term gay may sound exclusionary, as it leaves out the L-B-Q-I-A and focuses only on the G. Some lesbian feminists have also noted that the term gay, as a catch-all for the entire world's queer population, is inherently misogynistic, as it's an androcentric label invented to describe homosexual men. I disagree in this case. Personally, though I understand the value in common vocabulary, in movement building, and understand the term queers rise in popularity among academics and activists, to queer something and to gay something up have hugely different meanings for me. To queer, especially in academic circles, means to analyze or approach a subject from an LGBTQ perspective. In seminary, now this tells you a little bit about the type of seminary I went to, we often spoke in class about queering the Bible, a queer reading of Paul's epistles, for example. Why go through so many changes here about semantics when we just want to get down to the gaiety of this Sunday? Well, I'm glad you asked. See what I did there, Gaiety? Um, <laughs> well, I once tried to commiserate with a gay friend about how folks always seem to assume that everyone is straight until proven otherwise. I confessed that I've often been guilty of this myself, this bias. And he responded, really? You do that? I always assume everyone's gay until proven otherwise. So I suppose that I'm approaching today, and I'm aware of this, with the biased assumption that to many in this room, this may be the first experience of a big gay Sunday, or a big gay anything for that matter, which, and with this crowd, granted, I will own that that is a huge assumption to make. The truth is, This congregation has been involved in the work of welcoming all who come in good faith for quite a while. But it took a bit of convincing, to say the least, for this church to get behind the idea of doing the work required by the Unitarian Universalist Association to be officially recognized as a designated welcoming congregation to LGBT folks. I spoke with some of those who were involved in spearheading this effort, who remember those days. Folks spoke of this place as were most institutions of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s as very patriarchal and heterosexist. There were women's dances held here for Austin's lesbian population, several out gay men that folks knew and liked, 
and Interweave was formed as a gay-straight alliance during those years. But the unspoken message, and sometimes spoken message, was that First UU Church of Austin was a culturally straight church. There was a very visible norm. So folks at that time may have had to strain their imaginations to think about a time in which this church could be led by out gay clergy. So, Among those who initiated the push for our congregation to receive the honor of being named as a welcoming UU congregation was Margaret Nunley and her partner, Jenny. The minister at that time, Fred Wooten, was ambivalent. The board needed some persuading, and the congregation was confused about why we needed to bother engaging in a series of anti-discrimination workshops. Aren't we already welcoming to those people? Margaret recalls how the help of a few staunch and fearless allies made all the difference in getting everyone on board. In particular, without the help of Doris and Henry Hug and the late great Jim Burson, only but a few folks would have even shown up to that initial workshop. Doris remembers with pride how adamant Henry was about these workshops moving forward. He was ahead of his time, Doris remembers. As the father of girls, he worked for the rights of women, and though he may not have used the word himself at the time, he would have certainly embraced it now. He saw issues of sexual orientation and equal rights as feminist issues. The resistance by the congregation shocked these straight allies. But no one was surprised in, among the gay folks here. Doris was taken aback when she heard such comments as, why do we even need to do this? I don't think it's something we need to talk about when they can just come to church anyway. Change is difficult, of course, especially when it requires taking note of personal prejudices and challenging views of what is normal, where our biases are. But though the voices were few, love won out. About 25 participants began, showed up at that first workshop. And they stayed, they came back, they completed the whole series of the Welcoming Congregation curriculum. And the congregation then voted to apply for recognition of becoming a welcoming congregation within, uh, um, uh, excuse me, within the, yes, and all this happened within the first two years, this is notable, within the first two years of the program even being launched by the denomination this congregation had received recognition and certification. So, good job. So make sure when you leave to um, stop and take a glance at our plaque in the lobby, our welcoming congregation plaque, now that you know what it took to get it there. But among the requirements of the welcoming congregation uh, certification is a commitment, a congregational commitment to ongoing, continued education. And this spring, I'm glad to announce that we will honor that commitment 
been a while since we've revisited it, and they rec- they um, advise every five years. It's been a little bit longer than that. Um, so we're going to participate in the Welcoming Congregation Renewal Program by holding a series of workshops called Living the Welcoming Congregation, the follow-up curriculum to Welcoming Congregation. So keep an eye out for that in your newsletters. So this year is the 75th anniversary of the landmark blockbuster, The Wizard of Oz. And this year's theme of Austin's Pride celebration is Welcome to the Wonderful World of Oz Tin. And our church is once again participating in the festival and the evening parade happening this coming Saturday, September 20th. But there are all sorts of Oz Tin themed pride events all week long. It all kicked off yesterday with the annual Big Gay Brunch. And we invite you to show up here on Friday night and, and help us build the float. And then again, Saturday to participate. More about that later. So folks often wonder about the connection between the Wizard of Oz and Judy Garland and the larger gay community. No one can say it better than Pandora Box, star of TV's greatest gift to humanity, RuPaul's Drag Race. Pandora Box wrote in a Huffington Post editorial, they weren't called friends of Dorothy in the 40s and 50s for nothing. A pretty young gal gets swept away in a tornado, lands in a colorful, magical land, and squashes literally the one ugly being around, then gets fabulously sparkly new shoes, meets three members of a local gay men's chorus (laughs) who help her to get to a hologram wizard. Then she goes on to defeat the hag of the bears, I mean monkeys, That all sounds like a night out in West Hollywood on Molly. Ultimately, it's about knowing that the power is within you. Again, the gays love their boozy, pill-popping, messy, yet wickedly talented divas, and Judy Garland was one of the first. Divas, sparkly shoes, and musical numbers. Need I say more? Yes, the movie is escapist and over-the-top campy, which, as I mentioned early on, is not only something that gay culture admires, but the art of ironic exaggeration is one that we have perfected. Judy Garland herself was great at this also, whether or not she intended to be. We've seen her NTM, you know. (laughs) She's just over the top. Um, (laughs) But that's not the only reason she's a gay icon. As Pandora Box notes, she was a tragic figure who overcame much, so much of what life threw and threw at her. A quality that is sadly all too relatable in our community. But Ms. Garland was known for adoring gay people. Uh, who not only included her throngs of fans, but her father and many, many of her closest friends. She's reputed to have once said, when I die, I have visions of fags singing over the rainbow <laughs> and the flag at 
Fire Island being flown at half-mast. But what's more is that legend has it, on the night of the Stonewall Riots in Manhattan's Greenwich Village, the event which sparked the beginning of the modern gay rights movement, the legend is that that began the night of Judy Garland's funeral. Time magazine reported many decades later, the uprising was inspired by a potent cocktail of pent-up rage. Raids of gay bars were brutal and routine. Overwrought emotions. Hours earlier, thousands had wept at the funeral of Judy Garland and drugs. As a 17-year-old cross-dresser was being led into the paddy wagon and got a shove from a cop, she fought back. She hit the cop and was so stoned she didn't know what she was doing or didn't care. And a movement was born. That was 1969. We now have 19 states that allow freedom to marry and 14 states in which judges have ruled in favor of same-sex marriage, including Texas. So why does pride still matter? Why do we still need to have festivals and parades? CNN contributor L.Z. Granderson says, because Congress has yet to pass a law requiring people to hide the fact that they are straight. Because the streets are not filled with children who have been kicked out of their homes for being straight. Because there seems to be a lack of stories in which someone has been beaten, tied to a fence, and left to die, or shot in the face at point-blank range because they were straight. Marriage is important, but it's not by far the only inequality suffered by queer people. Until I can walk into any grocery store or church while holding my fiancé's hand and not be given the stink eye, be spat at, called names, or be made to fear for my safety, all of which who have happened to me, that have happened to me and many others. Until that day, pride is necessary. For as long as we, as a historically marginalized community, hold memories, as long as those memories exist of painful, of a painful, violent past, and continued pain and violence, we will need to come together periodically, come together with each other and our allies to practice being fierce, to celebrate life lived brave and proud. In this way, pride is not just for the gays. It's for our allies, too. And it's so for our allies, too. So I urge you, no matter which way you were born, to join us this Friday evening, 6 to 8 p.m., for float decorating here at the church, and Saturday at our festival booth. You can sign up to receive emails on where and when to be where and when at the Lifespan Religious Ed table after service if you'd like to be at the festival or the parade representing First UU. So in keeping with the Oz theme, I am very, very pleased to report that our very own 
Meg Barnhouse will be the queen of our float dressed as Glinda the Good Witch. I'll be predictably dressed as Dorothy and um, marching alongside our float. So please come in costume, Oz-themed costumes, or come in your yellow standing on the side of love t-shirts, or come as you are. We hope to see every single one of you there, gaying it up. May it be so. Go gaily forth to be fierce in demonstrating love. Work. May it be so. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.